Welcome back. It's the CFB Winning Edge podcast. I'm your host, Scott Bogman. Follow me on the Twitter at Bogman Sports, and I'm joined, as always, by Nicholas Ian Allen, the owner and proprietor of CFB Winning Edge. You can follow him on the Twitter at CFB Winning Edge and Xavier Trish at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E. On the Twitter machine, what is going on, fellas? Nick, how was your weekend? Ah, so far, so good. And the uh, week's off to a good start. We had a CFF draft last night. You and I uh, streamed a, a bit of that and had some discussion after. I think I finally caught my breath after 45 <laughs> seconds per pick. Uh, my head finally stopped spinning. But, uh, you know, it's, it's nice to sort of get back in the swing of things. Feels like college football season's really going to be here before long <laughs> it's nice. on the way yeah i mean xavier uh seems like everything now there are a couple states your state and my state that are uh you know experiencing some bad problems with covid resurgence after opening up everything but it really seems even though we're getting you know uh reports of players having covid that like i think when you first read that you kind of go whoa but that's to be expected so many people yeah. have it yeah, it, it you kind of expect at this point that you're going to get positive cases. Um, but we just have to make sure that those people do the proper things to, you know, become negative. And then we can just move on from it and hopefully, you know, move into a place where kind of the NBA and the NFL um, and maybe MLB, that's a whole nother discussion. Uh, we'll, hopefully, we'll hopefully get to, to uh, you know, play a full season of football. I mean, it, it feels like we haven't had football for a long time, although we've had a full season. I just think it's because we haven't had any other sport that it hurts so much. Uh, so I, I miss it. I need it back. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we all need it back. But uh, Nick, you have some uh, new stuff going on at the CFP Winning Edge Patreon, correct? Yeah, I just wanted to give a quick update over the last couple of weeks. I've added some new things to uh, the FBS team profiles. First of all, I wanted to mention that we've, we've uh, had a lot of great support really over the, the last two years that we've been doing this. But um, we actually set a new record for Patreon support heading into this month. We actually have more uh, supporters than we did at any point during the 2019 season, which is uh, excellent. Thank you so much uh, to those of you out there who have joined us. And, and we've had some uh, new folks join us as well at, at Tier 2 and Tier 3, and, and we really, really appreciate that. Um, and we're excited about the future. and, and you know, the more support we have, the more we're able to turn that into hopefully some very useful content. And a couple of those things that we were able to add to the team profiles uh, within, you know, the last couple of weeks, uh, went through and did an NFL draft history going back to 2005, just the number of picks per team, every FBS team, the number of picks that were drafted each year, and then by head coach so that we could see, you know, which coaches are, are uh, producing the highest number of draft picks. And Do you it's, remember it's, the number on Saban? Was it like oh, yeah, Saban in Alabama is number one, everything, every Fire year, off. every yeah. category. I mean, it, you know, only 2019 alone, <laughs> I think, is the only, <laughs> or 2020, right. I should say. Yeah. But um, yeah, I mean, it, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's not perfect because a lot of coaches did not necessarily recruit the guys that are getting drafted. So I would right, love right. to eventually dive a little bit deeper and uh, look at not only head coaches, but uh, coordinators and, and position coaches who is actually like the lead recruiter and, and get some numbers on those. Cause I really do think there's some value in understanding what coaches want or are finding the most talented guys 
especially if they are perhaps underrated by the recruiting services and, and things like that, late bloomers. And then, of course, who's developing the most NFL players. I, I think there's definitely some value at that. But at least we've kind of got a, a baseline now where you can – uh, scroll to the the very end of the team profiles and, and find that list of uh, 20, uh, 2005, I should say, to, to 2020 uh, NFL draft picks by uh, both school and by head coach when that player was drafted. Uh, but then also added some uh, sort of advanced stats and things that maybe aren't available at a lot of, uh, you know, free stat sites. Places like cfbstats.com are excellent, excellent resources. Use those basically every day. But there are some stats that kind of, in my opinion, you get a, a little bit better understanding of things if you take another step, like instead of total number of sacks or even sacks per game, I like to see the sack percentage, or, you know, right. what, what percentage of snaps are resulting in a sack, either for the offense or the defense, interception percentage, uh, havoc rate, things like that. We've, we've lost a couple of things. Uh, since Bill Connolly moved to ESPN, ESPN, I think, is uh, a lot more protective over, you know, some of those uh, advanced stats. And, and some of them we can calculate on our own. It's just nice if somebody else did it. Well, right. we went through and, and did it for, for some of us. Have a great being one of those. Um, and then, you know, yards per pass attempt is, is very important. I looked at it uh, on a net, you know, on a marginal basis as well. So uh, put a lot of offensive stats in one sheet, put a lot of defensive stats in, in another sheet, and then put a lot of marginal uh, stats in there as well. So uh, take a take a look at that if, if you get an opportunity, if you, if you want to see things like, you know, points per drive, uh, whether it's on a net or offensive or defensive, uh, whether it's EPA, expected points added per play, I uh, was able to put that in there. Touchdown rate, what percentage of possessions result in touchdowns for the offense or the defense. Uh, turnover rate, thing, things like that, that maybe, you know, give a, a little bit more context instead of just this team led the country in interceptions, that sort of thing. Right, so right. Hopefully, hopefully those are helpful for our patrons. Uh, we also last week uh, put our, our first uh, stream of this show on YouTube, and, and we're going to have more of that in the future. So be on the lookout for that. If you prefer uh, YouTube over just the, the podcast experience, you can see our smiling faces, my uh, very New England uh, t-shirt and hat combination today. You, uh, everything but the accent is New England today. Yeah. You, got, you got the glasses and the hat and the shirt, you know, unless you say wicked fat, it's still not <laughs> believable though. So. You know, I, I could open my window and we could, we could hear uh, <laughs> a bunch by, of Peter Griffin's uh, right by your house. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, 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 every once in a while, my Southern accent will slip out on, on a particular word yes. too, but I lost the majority of my accent long ago. I, think. I thought I did, but there's a <laughs> bunch of people that are like, no, you know, you sound like you're from Texas. I'm like, okay, uh, I don't, I don't hear it anymore because I have, I know a lot of people from Texas, uh -huh. and uh -huh. uh, to me, they sound different. But uh, sure. I, I, I thought I lost most of mine too. I, I can hear yours on occasion. It'll slip out sometimes, yeah. especially uh -huh. if I, especially if I sort of get rolling and. <laughs> as I sometimes uh -huh. do. But, uh, on a on a slightly sadder note, in our open uh, over the last few weeks, I mentioned something about uh, that we were going to have a. a P, uh, preview available uh, for patrons and, and then for purchase. Uh, that project, unfortunately, is not going to happen. Uh, I'm, I'm sad about that. It was a very ambitious project when I sat down to outline it 
the outline had over 700 pages <laughs> in it and, uh, you know, had some filler uh, sort of fake paragraphs in to sort of get a, an idea on word count. It was over 400,000 words. I probably shouldn't have opened my big mouth and, and said I was going to do that. <laughs> well, even, about, when you, <laughs> even when you introduce it, you're like, I probably shouldn't be saying that I'm going to do this. Because I, as yeah, soon as I said it, I immediately <laughs> regretted it. And, and uh, you know, this is college football magazine season. I love college football magazines. I always have. I contributed to the Athlon Sports uh, magazine this year, the, the like stats corner thing. I, I wrote uh, those this year, which was fun. And, and I've written for athlonsports.com for a long time and, and really enjoy it. Respect everything that, that goes, those guys do. And my thought was, you know, Hey, I, I would sort of like to take the college football magazine to the next level. And I think there is, you know, some, uh, some value to that. I, I think there is a market for that. And I've, I've heard some other rumblings this week that PFF is putting out a preview, which uh, I'm excited about, have a lot of respect for them, and, and I'm sure it's going to be excellent. Uh, what I have in mind is uh, anybody who's a baseball fan, the baseball prospectus uh, preview yeah. book. Uh, I would love to create something like that for college football. And, you know, hopefully in, in 2021, maybe that's going to come together. I just, I didn't quite plan it out well enough this year. Had some technical difficulties when it was coming to formatting and, and just some of my uh, just things on the back end weren't, weren't quite uh, up to speed in time to really get it done to my level of, uh, you know, perfection and right. or whatever, whatever it is. And I didn't feel like it was going to come together <laughs> to the standard that I want it to be. So I didn't want to put something out that uh, wasn't going to be proud of. So uh, we're going to push right. it off this year. Uh, but, um, you know, hopeful for, for next year. And this will allow a little extra time to do some more deep dives some uh, spend a little time, uh, you know, with film and watching replays of games and things like that, get a, a deeper understanding of some of the things uh, that we'll be talking about all year. So I am excited about that. I, I, I think that um, personally, uh, I'll be in a better place <laughs> not trying to uh, write a, a 400,000 word uh, thing in, in the next, you know, six weeks. So I apologize if anybody was looking forward to that. Hopefully we'll be able to produce that in 2021, but it just wasn't going to come together this year. So let's you know, pretend, that, pretend it never happened. Yeah. So I was, uh, I was helping you with some of the stats and I well, was uh, going through in the data entry and it was, I'm like, good Lord, I, I worked on, <laughs> it took me four hours and I did three teams. And I was like, uh, this is probably like, I'm not the fastest at that stuff. Anyway, I'm pretty good, but because I copy and paste all the time, I do all these rankings and, and, you know, a, a lot of it is flat data entry, you know? Okay. So I I've done it before, so I'm not the slowest, but I know there's people that work faster than me and obviously starting something, you know, uh, it takes a big rhythm, but I thought that I, you know, looking at this, I'm like, whatever the closest call center to Nick is, is going to be so pissed when he has them all working on his data entry instead of going to the call center, like uh, I, I could just imagine you like handing out flyers, like, Hey, you want some easy money? I got data entry for you. It's way easier than this stuff. And you don't have to talk to any customers. Like that was kind of when I saw, I'm like, Oh my God, it's like 10 pages per team. Uh, you know, I was like, this is a lot. 
Yeah, so. you guys are both out of school already. Nick, why are you still writing dissertations? I don't get it. I have a sick Say that to me. Yeah, we, yeah, I mean, it's the same thing. And, you know, I, I like the magazines too, and I contribute to uh, the Fantasy Football Black Book. And uh, it's the number one selling book, by the way, I beat out James Conner's book uh, for uh, last month. It's already sitting at number one. So those are fun. And I like writing for him and stuff. But uh, I, I always last year, I got the thing from Joe. Uh, he's like, you know, I had to lower the font on your pages. Right. <laughs> so he's like, because your part put me into a different different bracket of creating <laughs> this book for paperback. Yeah. So I had yeah. to lower the font. I'm like, well, I mean, maybe sell it with a magnifying glass. Paper you know? costs money. Gotta... It's gonna be it's gonna be one of those <laughs> things where you know uh, when they get the physical one, it's gonna be mm -hmm. people also shop for magnifying glass. You know? <laughs> uh, one of those. But yeah. uh, we got plenty to cover here, of course, today. And the very first note, Nick, is that Ross Ellinger reported that the NCAA is set to approve a six week calendar to ramp up college football and 247 sports brandon marcello got a hold of an image of the calendar which includes dates for voluntary meetings uh summer access walkthrough and meeting periods uh, four weeks of preseason practice and the on-time start of the season in september so that's pretty good news i mean you know if they're already scheduling up like it's going to happen on time seems like it's probably going to happen on time yeah. yeah, definitely, definitely nice to see. And I think, you know, uh, when all this was starting up, a lot of the questions were how long would it take to get college football ready to go on time? And I, I think we pretty much settled on, you know, six weeks would be doable, four would really be pushing it. But uh, to, to have sort of the timeline we're on right now where almost everybody is back on campus getting tested and uh, things are, are sort of in line to, to get going in this six-week calendar. Uh, it, it's certainly something to be optimistic about. Xavier, are you uh, reading these reports uh, gushing? Uh, you, yeah, I mean, I'm excited. I, this, <laughs> this is, uh, <laughs> I mean, there's not very many – it hasn't been good for sports for maybe up, up about a month now where, you know, we're just kind of speculating and speculating, but finally we're getting news where – Seems like everything is going to go as planned, uh, according to fall sports. And I'm, I'm just, I'm just excited. I'm a fan at first before anything else, and so this yeah. just gets me hype. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm pumped. And uh, you know, I, I didn't see the details. I know you even posted the image here. I haven't seen the details, but I don't care to be honest <laughs> no. what the details are. I'm just ready for it uh, to get going and for us to to have football. And I know a lot of these guys are testing positive for for COVID right now. Uh, obviously, we're going to have expanded testing once teams start and schools start having uh, allowing uh, students back and uh, student athletes back. But, um, you know, a lot of these guys are not in the wheel of danger at all. I, I, most of them are going to be asymptomatic. They're going to isolate for two weeks and then be good to go and have antibodies. So, um, you know, uh, it's going to be a story that we see repeatedly probably for the next couple of years, to be yeah. honest with you. But uh, we just kind of need to get used to it and have a plan in, in place so the whole world doesn't have to stop again. So uh, looking forward to that. And then uh, speaking of COVID, equipment brand uh, uh, Shut released a splash shield face guard attachment for the football helmets last week. It looks similar to the clear visor on the helmets in recent years, but extends the extra length uh, you know, over the face mask to block droplets 
I haven't seen this one yet, Nick, but um, I don't know. It seems weird. And I know you said on Reddit, an equipment manager expressed concerns about uh, how it would cause fogging and difficulty breathing and yeah. stuff like that. Did you get a chance <laughs> to look at it? It looked weird, right? Yeah, there, there are a couple of images that are out there, and it, it does. It, it just looks like the normal visor that that you'll see clear in college sometimes you know mirrored in, in the nfl or whatever but it extends down to the uh to the very bottom of the face mask and everything i've seen from players and then this one particular equipment manager i'm sure there are others out there as well uh basically we're like hey and you know in august in texas this thing is not going <laughs> to, this thing is not going to work. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's, it's uh, priced somewhere about $25. I, I think I've even seen it as low as 15, which, uh, seems a little too cheap to me. I mean, I, I just, I don't know. I, I don't know. It's, it's good that they're thinking about these things that, um, they're trying to come up with something to make football safer, uh, you know, in this time with this thing that unfortunately we have to deal with, but fogging is certainly going to be an issue. Breathing is going to be an issue. Um, the rain, I mean, the, the one thing the equipment manager mentioned that was interesting to me that I just hadn't really thought of was, you know, anytime it rains, if you were to look on uh, a, you know, sideline, uh, guys are rushing over trying to get their visors removed just because it's yeah. so difficult to see uh, while, it, you know, with, with uh, droplets from, from rain and things like that. So we'll see. I mean, it's, it's good that this is in the works, but uh, I mean, Xavier can tell us he's played a lot, lot uh, more recently than we have, but um, I, I find it hard to believe that this is necessarily the answer, but maybe it's a step in the right direction. What yeah, do you think, I mean, Javier? This this thing looks. It's just. Uh, it seems like it's just a shield that goes all the way across the bottom. I kind of feel like the mask that stretches over the, you know, like the normal mask that just stretches over the helmet would be easier to work with. Yeah, I, this is a good idea. Um, in practicality, this is going to suck uh, for any athlete that breathes very heavy. I mean, you're in the heat of battle. You're entire face you're not gonna be able to see it every game for the most part in high school and college i got mine taken off i just took it off it was just too much um and you're right nick playing in the rain with that kind of humidity it's gonna be awful it's gonna you're gonna be seeing nothing but clouds in your face before you you know you even you know can really use it i like the idea of it uh, just practicality wise and then you hit it on the head when you said it was about 25 dollars to get like an anti-fogging just mask or a visor, it's like seventy-five. So it looks right. like they, it looks like they've gone with maybe the cheaper material to be able to make it in more mass, and that's just going to lead to more issues where kids have to have like three or four of these a game. So the only the only position I I'm in favor of wearing masks is running backs, and that's because you're at the bottom of the pile almost every play, mm. and you don't want your eyes getting dug into. You know, that's fair. So, uh, <laughs> that, that's that's like the the only position. I could think that would be good with this thing. Uh, shortly after we finished recording last week, news broke that Arizona State uh, punter Michael Turk, who entered the NFL draft early and signed with an agent, but he wasn't uh, picked, has been granted eligibility back at ASU. This is a it's an interesting story, Nick. But I, you know, the reason he was granted eligibility was because he wasn't able to do pro days or uh, other things because of uh, the pandemic. And 
I feel like the NCAA, while they're being nice here, and this makes sense, and they've never done that in the past, um, <laughs> I don't think this is going to set a precedent for players to leave and come back, although they can in college, uh, or they can in basketball, excuse me. Right. Uh, but um, I don't think uh, I don't think this is going to be a long-term thing. Yeah, I mean, it was it was fascinating to see, and and it's uh, you know, I, I guess you kind of expect maybe it's just a, a one-off. But, you know, it, it, I know this isn't a court of law, but, but now that a precedent has been set, you think like, okay, well, maybe there's some room to make a, a common sense judgment because I think that, you know, it, it does make sense to me that, that uh, players should be able to declare for the NFL draft if they're not selected, come back. Uh, there's sort of a, an added layer with the actually signed with an agent, which is sort of the, the thing you're not supposed to or not able to do in, in uh, basketball. But, right. uh, you know, it's it's very interesting. And, and I know that 2020 is the weirdest year we've all ever seen. And <laughs> the NCAA is so, being nice. Yeah, I mean, but right? that's uh, <laughs> crazier than the pandemic. Uh, so maybe we, we shouldn't get our hopes up for the future. But, you know, I, I think it's uh, maybe it's a step towards the right direction. I, I would like to see this as a potential option in the future, like it is in basketball. Um, and, and, you know, baseball has a whole other set of rules where you don't even declare for the draft. You get picked and you decide whether or not you want to go. So I would love to see a little bit more uniformity and, and maybe this is a small step in the right direction, but maybe it's just a one-off. And to your point, you know, the players are going to be able to start making money presumably next year. So right. maybe they're going to be able to sign with agents because of that anyway. And maybe they make this a rule. And to, to be honest, with so many underclassmen declaring, I think like the last, I think the last couple classes of each set a record for the most amount of juniors coming out and redshirt sophomores coming out. Maybe this is a good direction for the NCAA to move in for football. So some of those players can come back right. if they're not picked. You know, um, you know, Benjamin getting picked in the seventh round, you know, if he would have just fell whatever that was, 20 more spots and been undrafted. I think ASU would have welp welcomed him back with open oh, arms. Oh, yeah. you know, so. Well, Michael yeah. Warren at Cincinnati didn't get drafted. Right, right? Exactly. I mean, he, he was, uh, you know, we might be talking about him as an All-American if he were back. Right, year. we probably would have, and we wouldn't have to worry about Dokes or Ford there. So, uh, Xavier, do you think that this will push the NCAA to make the right decision when they usually don't make the right decision? No, uh, I think that this is a one-off. Uh, it's a special case. We're talking about the NCAA here. They're not very big on uniformity. Um, I like the idea of ba the baseball idea where a kid can get drafted at a certain level, and if he doesn't like where he got drafted, he can come back. Um, obviously, then this ha uh, hampers recruiting and that whole situation. But I think at the end of the day, you've got to allow players the opportunity to see what they would do in the draft situation. And if they don't like their situation, then come back and earn it if they have the eligibility to do so. Um, uh, you know, uh, I, I, I hope, I hope we get something right, but, um, you know, uh, being that this is bizarro year and everything backwards happens, uh, probably not. So we'll, we'll see fingers crossed, you know, hope maybe they realize with so many of us saying, this is what you should be doing. They'll pick it up, but you know, they've been tone deaf in the past now, central Michigan, which cut multiple sports last month and, uh, it put them below the division one minimum. And we kind of talked about this when it happened, they actually did listen to us. I believe that they listened to 
us in this podcast, and this is why they made the decision, is that uh, they gave they gave Central Michigan a two year waiver to uh, come back to compliance. You know, Central Michigan says they will do that. Um, but what do you think about this move, Nick? Well, I mean, I, I speculated that maybe the MAC might eventually take a look at, at dropping down to FCS. There's a, a lot of discussion on that actually this week, as, as uh, luck would have it. The Athletic had a uh, long uh, feature on that, and, and then the uh, Extra Points newsletter uh, from Matt Brown touched on it. Why basically we're not going to see uh, schools for the most part decide to take the Idaho route that they went to back to FCS mm. uh, a few years ago and, and uh, hasn't necessarily been received the best. And, and basically the consensus is uh, that's not uh, really what the future holds. I mean, the Mac was sort of in a, a really weird situation and, and central Michigan specifically to drop below the minimum number of sports allowed but of course we are in somewhat unprecedented times so it makes sense to kind of try to be flexible um you know you certainly don't like to see programs eliminated but uh if they are, are committed to bringing those programs back or, or bringing whatever programs back to uh, become d1 compliant again i think that's certainly good and and you know it's it's nice to have the mac and, and certainly hope that all of those schools are able to stay within compliance and stay in fbs because uh, you know, there would be what 12 extra teams for me to worry about each year. Uh, or 12 <laughs> less I, um, I remember Idaho specifically because when I had my, my roommate, um, for a while, we would play the NCAA game and mm-hmm. Texas played like- Idaho <laughs> week two. And, uh, he, he came home from work. I'm like, let's get this game in because we were playing our season and doing the recruiting and stuff together. And, uh, I remember he fell asleep while I was playing him and he was just like this, you know, uh, (laughs) holding the controller and I put up 90 something points on him. Uh, that, I mean, that was the Colt McCoy years and stuff like that. So he was like a 100 rated quarterback and, uh, all that stuff in Idaho was so terrible. Like all their, all of their, uh, corners were like 54 and 52 and stuff like that. So just torching them. Uh, but uh, Xavier, do you think? What do you think about the Central Michigan and, and the MAC in general? Um, first and foremost, I think it's a great that they gave them two years uh, to comply uh, because I don't think a team or a university is going to be able to get back to compliance in one year. Yeah. Um, so I think that's first and foremost. That's kudos to, to the NCAA on that. I think it's just a, a good thing because I think when a team like an Idaho goes to FCS, I think they get lost. Um, it, it's very easy to get lost in the FCS. Uh, kind of you know whirlwind of not playing FBS football or if FBS sports at all, um, and you kind of see what it happens the, the difference between FBS and FCS with teams like Georgetown, where people don't even know like Georgetown has a football team because yeah. it's an FCS program versus how big their basketball team is. Mm. You kind of see what happens when a team could fall to FCS. How you know obviously it changes the money, but it changes just the recognition as a whole. So uh, I think this is a really good idea or a really you know really good for them and the MAC as a whole. So. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully, uh, they get this squared away, and um, you know, good, good on the good on the NCAA for making good decisions recently. Hopefully, we get more of that. Uh, now, here's another good decision. Tuesday night, a report spoke that USC was expected to end its disassociation with Reggie Bush. Um, uh, that was a 10-year ban, I believe, Reggie Bush from the NCAA which is kind of ridiculous to me. I mean, I was kind of hoping they'd just give the Heisman to Vince who should have got it anyway, 
But oh, disagree. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll let what? that go. Yeah. Yeah. Because Vince had Matt Leinert on his team. Uh, you know, uh, he didn't, he didn't, Reggie Bush had Matt Leinert and uh, Mike Williams. Was Vince was Vince. And everybody, else. yeah, second best behind Vince. And he beat USC. But anyway, um, we'll see if the Heisman does that. So Reggie Bush can get back to making, you know, the funny commercials with uh, all the guys and stuff. So we'll, we'll see. But uh, I, you know, I thought it was ridiculous that they took all of the pictures of Reggie Bush down and took him out of the record books and all that crap. I mean, no one you when you go back and watch highlights, you watch Reggie Bush and he was unbelievable. So it, it's crazy to think that they had to do this, but uh, day one that they were eligible to do it, they stepped right in. And the Heisman hasn't yet, Nick, but we're keeping our fingers crossed. Absolutely. Uh, Xavier, what what do you think about Reggie Bush and, and all that stuff? It's about time. And also another university. First off, he had Jamal Charles in his backfield, but we're not going to get into that. Um, he, anyway. Okay. He wasn't even the lead back, but okay. <laughs> um, and other schools, most namely Michigan, it's your turn too. Let the Fab Five come back to school and this, the whole scenario. These lifelong grudges that they have between players who got uh, outside help from a booster or something like that, squash the beef. It, it, it's time to end those kind of relationships. And this is just happy to see that because we all saw how much it hurt Reggie during the time. I think he deserves to be there because he is a part of USC's history, whether they like it or not. Yeah. I mean, I think it's ridiculous that, you know, Jamal Lewis admitted that he sold a bunch of drugs during his college days at Tennessee and they don't have to disassociate with him. But Reggie Bush got whatever it was, a couple thousand bucks Probably more than that. I mean, the whole yeah. joke was he had to take a pay cut to go to the Saints. But, um, you know, I mean, it, it's jokes and it's money. Who cares? It's ridiculous. Uh, but anyway, uh, last thing before we get to some transfers here, uh, the SEC announced it would not hold in-person media days. No shock there. But the ACC and Sunbelt are the only FBS conferences who have yet to announce virtual media days. So seems like most of these should be virtual this year, right, Nick? I would expect so. I'd be surprised if the ACC and the Sun Belt uh, don't make this decision. Um, and, and it, you know, they're outnumbered at this point on on yeah. the conferences that have already made this uh, made this decision. But uh, you know, we, we shall see. But uh, I think getting confirmation from the SEC, uh, you know, SEC Media Days is an event. Most of the others maybe aren't quite yet. Would would like to be eventually, but uh, for them to go. Uh, you know, it was supposed to be at the, the College Football Hall of Fame and, and was, what, a three-day thing. So mm -hmm. uh, for them to, to make the move and, and at this point decide, okay, yeah, we're, we're not going to do in-person, uh, I would expect everyone else to follow suit. You know, I'm a little bit surprised that they hadn't already, but I'm sure they will before long. I tell you what, if you thought that um, press conferences were unorganized in person, just <laughs> uh, if you've seen them on zoom or whatever it is, whatever platform that they, they could be using Streamyard like we use, they are messy on occasion. Like, um, you know, I just watched a bunch of stuff after the draft and the media people would ask questions at a turn. And it was, it was a little bit of a mess. Hopefully they've gotten better at that because I was kind of early in the process, but, uh, some of the, some of those could get weird. 
uh, which makes them more fun, in my opinion. You know, anytime something is weird or embarrassing, you know, I'm like, <laughs> all right, let's watch that. You know, let's see that one. But we had a ton of transfer news, and um, Nick and I talked a lot about this stuff on the In This League College Fantasy Football Pod because a lot of it has to do with offensive players. And the first one is J.D. Spielman uh, entered the transfer portal. Now, Nick, like you mentioned on that podcast, um, it doesn't necessarily mean he's going to leave. He's really close to breaking a bunch of receiving records in Nebraska. He could easily come back if he wants. But once a guy enters the transfer portal, most of the time he's uh, he's taken off. So um, pretty decent sized loss for the Huskers. Yeah, I think so. I mean, he, he had taken a leave from the program since uh, the winter. Uh, wasn't going to be on the field for spring practice if, if Nebraska was uh, to have spring practice. Uh, something I saw made it sound like this was a mutual decision between he, he and the team. So if that's true, uh, then, you know, perhaps the door isn't open for him to come back. But, you know, it, it's unfortunate if not because uh, he's in his fifth year. He'd already redshirted. Uh, and, you know, unless he were to get a waiver to become immediately eligible, he actually wouldn't be able to transfer to an FBS program. So there was some a lot of early speculation when it was sort of official that he had gone into the portal that, oh, well, Minnesota makes perfect sense. I mean, he's, he lives there. His, his uh, dad is the GM of the Minnesota Vikings. So that, oh, man, wouldn't that be great? And Rashawn Bateman and J.D. Spillman and, and all of that. But for that to happen, it, it, there are some hurdles that would have to be cleared. So uh, I, I wouldn't necessarily expect it. It's, it's very possible um, that he decided – you know, he's, he's not going to play football anymore. Maybe uh, yeah. he, uh, we saw uh, a little bit of him because of the, the draft uh, being a remote draft this year. I don't know if you guys noticed when they would show Rick Spielman, you could see JD over uh, mm. it was kind of a part of it. A, a little bit seemed like maybe who knows, maybe he's decided he's done as a player. He's going to, uh, uh, you know, take the path towards the front office somewhere. That's pure speculation on my part. Right. But, uh, but, you know, I, I wouldn't be shocked if, if uh, that happened. It's, it's uh, you know, it's sad because he is a, a very good player, a lot of fun to watch, and Nebraska certainly uh, could use him this year. I mean, they, they uh, have some exciting players. Wondell Robinson is going to be more of a receiver this year. Love him, one of my favorite players in college football. Juco guy Omar Manning is is uh, got a chance to be a huge huge player, but Spielman, like you said, one of the best in school history and, and a potential you know all Big Ten type receiver. So he'll certainly be missed on the field. But uh, whatever it is that that he decided to leave, hopefully everything is okay with him. And, and whatever he decides to do from here on, you know, certainly wish him the best of luck. Of course, of course, Xavier, your thoughts on Spielman leaving? Yeah, it's it's only due to the fact that he already took the leave of absence in the winter that makes it not weird to me. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a kid who played who, and obviously has put up amazing numbers while at Nebraska, so it doesn't make sense from a competitive standpoint. He's not leaving to go play somewhere else because he wasn't getting minutes or starting time, and he looked like he was going to be a kid who, at the, at the very least, was going to be on some people's draft boards. Um, Nick, I think you hit it right on the head. I think he sees – that maybe going the NFL route is just not for him. And many players, you see it even in the NFL, go to the NFL and retire right away because they're just like, this isn't really for me. I'm not, this is not what I want to do anymore. And with his dad already being the GM of the Vikings, he may be getting pointers. He may be getting ready to make that transition. I would like to know what his major is at Nebraska. That might even help even more uh, to see what, you know, 
if he's, you know, almost preparing himself for a move like that, if he's taking sports marketing, sports business or something like that for sports administration. Um, so, but yeah, I think, you know, the only weird part is that he's not a kid that normally it would leave for like competition standpoint. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because he's definitely the starter. So um, it was strange to see him leave. Like you said, you know, not being in spring practice and being away from the team made this. Okay, well, that's kind of the next step. That's kind of the progression here. That wasn't uh, lots, a shock. Yeah, it wasn't a shock. Uh, lots of other transfers. I'm going to kind of burn through them here, and you guys can talk about them. Alabama wide receiver Tyrell Shavers announced his uh, move to Mississippi State. He's 6'6", four-star recruit, highest-rated uh, wide receiver on the MSU roster, according to VGR+, plus, plus 247 ratings. And... um just not a surprise to see him move. He has two years of eligibility left too, because he already graduated early. So a uh, good move for him. Miami added Houston transfer Jared Williams. He was started 19 games for the Cougars on the offensive line. He's a six-year senior and should compete for a starting tackle spot immediately. Uh, Michael Irvin's son, Michael Irvin the um, second, transferred from Miami to FAU. He's going to be expected to. Uh, most likely start, but at least compete for playing time very, very quickly there. Uh, Utah State added former USC defensive back CJ Pollard as a grad transfer. Uh, he played strong safety with the Trojans, should be a major immediate contributor for the Aggies. And Grant Loy, the quarterback who played a couple games for, uh, started five games for Bowling Green last year, transferred to Auburn, and he is obviously going to be behind Bo Nix there. So, Nick, your thoughts on uh, these transfers? Uh, I was pretty excited that uh, Tyrell Shavers ended up at Mississippi State. I mean, uh, pretty high on Osiris Mitchell is the most experienced guy coming back. They've got uh, some uh, big body receivers that didn't play a whole lot last year who have an opportunity, I think, to, to do some better things. Have a couple of Juco guys that are coming in, maybe provide some excitement. But when you can get a 6'6", 200 pound, former four star guy. Unfortunately, didn't see the field very much at Alabama. He played in all 13 games last year, but I believe it was primarily on special teams. Had one uh, catch, one uh, rushing attempt, and then uh, I'm, I'm guessing he recovered a punt for a touchdown. He's, he's got uh, like a, a block punt for a touchdown. I don't remember specifically, but he, he does have credit for a punt return touchdown, but I'm, I'm guessing it's one of those. So, you know, somebody that Alabama thought enough of to recruit, and he was certainly part of the program, got a little bit of playing time, but didn't really uh, contribute from a production standpoint. This, I would have to expect, is an opportunity for him to do so at Mississippi State. They're going to be using four or five receivers at a time, and, you know, they need bodies, and, and Shavers has uh, all the measurables, has a lot of talent, and this could be an opportunity for him to get a fresh start and capitalize on that potential. So I'm excited about that. Uh, Williams is interesting for Miami. Miami returns every offensive lineman, uh, but they were really, really bad on offensive line last year. Um, they, they could use help specifically at the tackle positions. Williams started at right tackle for Houston last year, but the early – uh, speculation is that he's most likely to move into left tackle at Miami and Zion Nelson, who started there as a true freshman and, and had a rough start uh, in his first game against Florida, got a little bit better, got some valuable experience, but seems like he was going to be moving over to the right side anyway. So it might make sense for Williams to slide in on the left. We'll see. Miami certainly could use the help and you can add an experienced guy 
somebody that uh, has done some good things at Houston, played a lot of football. So uh, seems like a good move. Michael Irvin, you would have to expect, I mean, looking at, at our numbers and the, the guys that FAU lost at the tight end position, which had been very productive for them in recent years. Uh, Irvin is far and away the most uh, highly rated guy. Didn't really work out for him at Miami, unfortunately. But And they you have know, Brevin Jordan. For sure, right. for sure. And Mallory is, is decent yeah. as well. Uh, but, you know, again, same thing with Shavers. Opportunity, fresh uh, change of scenery, you know, new chance, and, and uh, hopefully we'll be able to capitalize on a lot of potential because he's he's an athletic tight end. He's somebody that certainly can contribute and, and you would expect is going to get a lot of playing time. Uh, I just saw the Loy news right before we, we got on, thought it was worth a mention. A uh, bit of a surprise. He, I believe, was a walk-on at Bowling Green and then uh, ended up splitting a little time this year and, and eventually actually took that job away from a, a grad transfer. Uh, I forget exactly who it was. Uh, again, came from Boston College, not Anthony Brown. He's a, right. he was a, a, a player with a similar sort of background. But, um, you know, uh, Auburn needed a little bit of depth and at, at the quarterback position. We talked about Kalen Newton uh, a couple of weeks ago, and this move you would expect – uh, maybe makes it a little more clear that Newton's probably not going to play quarterback, probably play more special teams, maybe receiver, maybe defense, who knows. But uh, good for Auburn to have some more depth at that position, somebody that's got some FBS experience for sure. Was it uh, Davin Jones? Or excuse me, uh, Darius Wade? Darius Wade, the that's the one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. He dropped down to FCS Delaware, I think, and then came back. Uh, played a little bit, got hurt, I think, and, and Lloyd basically just ended up taking the job, I think, but, uh, you know, a depth piece, but it's always, always better to have, uh, too many quarterbacks than not enough. Xavier, do you think Dear King convinced the tackle from Houston to he follow did. him to Miami? He had to, right? He needed to convince some kind of help. Cause if not, he's going to be running <laughs> like a chicken with his head cut off like, uh, next year. Um, just to go, uh, I think, uh, Michael Irvin, the second might be this year's version of Thaddeus Moss. Yes, oh, both okay. their dads are Hall of Famers, but I really <laughs> like the idea that he's going to have – Daddy Smalls up until last year was kind of a guy who you expected more of, obviously because of his father, but because he was at LSU. I feel like this year going to FAU, one explosive offense, he's going to have the opportunity. He's definitely going to – they're going to throw the ball enough for his numbers to equal to a guy who should be, you know, one of the better tight ends in the country. Uh, Tyro Shavers going to uh, Mississippi State, love it. Um, Mike Leach loses two guys last week and gains one. Um, I think he sees what everybody else in the country sees when they watch Mike Leach football, and that's all he does is throw the ball. And with a guy who's 6'6", this is a heck of a get for um, Mike Leach, especially amidst all the things that were going on with him losing so many players over the last couple of weeks. Um, that's going to be one heck of a player for him. Uh, the Grant Lloyd, I think he might change positions. I don't know. He came out of high school as a dual-threat kid, 6'5", 223, Look, his stats at Bowling Green were not impressive at quarterback. He's going to a place in, in Auburn who needs receiver depth, doesn't have a lot of it, and is known for having not the most athletic outside receivers, but they like big ones. You know, Seth Williams in the past. Uh, man, a couple of them are not – Sammy Coates uh, also. They like big receivers. They don't always have to be uber athletic. And if he could make the move, just like Newton, to a receiver position – he has more than one year to do so. And I think that he has an opportunity by being 6'5 or 223 to at least possibly get some reps over there. I don't know. It's a little weird for me because him going there as a quarterback ensures him as a backup. Um, and he didn't put up numbers at both screen that would make me convinced 
that he would even be the backup. So uh, don't be. I wouldn't be surprised if they try him in other positions too. Very interesting. Now, the last bit before uh, we get to some coaching news here is Brendan Eagles, uh, the wide receiver at Texas, has um, basically said he's going to sit out. I'll read you his. This is from an Instagram post, and this is what he said. Um, let me see if I can bring up the whole thing here. Um, it said, okay, so for all my brothers out there that are student athletes, do you really think athletics should be a main focus right now during this time we live in at the end of the day, if this is the main focus, I find you blind to the fact that your platform can change this. Thousands of people, uh, come to watch for entertainment revenue is built from that money is generated from us. If it wasn't for athletics, we wouldn't have coaches, trainers, doctors wouldn't perform as many surgeries, etc. The list goes on. I'll be damned if you think I'll play another snap with the platform I have that affects a majority of people that contribute to the sport who don't actually play. Know your values. All I'm saying, athletics brings people together all over. But at the end of the day, I'm not going to play another snap knowing what's going on in our society due to color and the system being broken. I just can't. Let's look at the bigger picture. Don't care if you, uh, you're yellow or blue. That goes for every athlete supporter out there. So um, I, it, it's, a very, it's a powerful statement. I do think that if it weren't for the face of the change that we're having in this country right now, I think I would probably write this up to this is a college attitude of, you know, you, when you get into college, you're at that age where you kind of start noticing uh, the bigger picture and things going on around you and you, you want to fight for it. But with the history that we're seeing being made now, um, I take saying something like this a little more seriously. Um, I still think that we'll see Brennan Eagles play this season. Um, but I'm not sure, obviously. So, Nick, what did you think about Brennan Eagles' comments? Yeah, I agree. It's a powerful, powerful statement for sure. I've, I've been, uh, you know, excited about what I've seen from Texas specifically. A lot of programs out there, you know, since we talked a little bit uh, at length on on uh, these sorts of topics last week, certainly things have evolved. I mean, we've seen some things, you know, coaches at Clemson and Utah, Iowa, Florida State have all made headlines for a variety of different things. Some of them very alarming. Some of them just a little bit, you know, maybe make you a little bit queasy for me personally, just sort of the way Davo Sweeney's been acting lately. But, uh, you know, Brandon Eagles makes a, a lot of really, really good points. And, you know, this, this is something I struggle with a little bit. On I mean, we're talking about college football players, right? We do it right, every right. week. Uh, I spend, what, 40, 50 hours a day, or hours a day, uh, a week, mm -hmm. you know, working on college football stuff. Sometimes it, feels it just like feels that. like that. <laughs> right. yeah, exactly. but, but, you know, I, I, I've struggled with this in the past. I've gotten burned out in the past as a writer uh, when uh, thing you know, college football specifically football as a whole. I mean, it's, it's a dangerous sport. It's something that, yeah. you know, we dealt with several years ago it was much more in the news than the concussion issues and all that. And there's, there's a gladiatorial, aspect to football that makes me a little bit uneasy at times and i i love it i, I love the game always have I, I love college as you know my favorite version of the game but it's so weird just college football as a thing is is a right. weird thing and there's so much going into it and brandon you know brandon eagles make it makes a great point you know guys like me who have been able to make a living or at least spend the majority of my time doing 
you know, work based on what these other people are doing, who in large numbers are, you know, black players, uh, players that are not getting compensated for their true value uh, on the field, but also, you know, it, on the, the health thing, not getting compensated for the risk that they're uh, putting forward. And, you know, I, I know all the, the immediate things people say, oh, scholarships and all, whatever. But, yeah. I, you know, I, I'm I firmly in the, am in the camp of uh, these guys should should get more than they do. But, uh, you know, it, it makes me uneasy at times to, to think course. that players – are taken advantage of, especially in, in college football. Uh, so, you know, I, I do take him seriously and, and uh, something is different. Something feels different over the last two weeks that yeah. I would not be shocked if a high profile player decides, you know, Hey, I'm done playing football and I'm, I'm going to be an activist or I'm tired of being, uh, you know, taken advantage of or things like that. So uh, I love watching Brandon, Brandon Eagles play. I think he has an opportunity to be Texas's best receiver. He's a big target, made some big plays last year. So I'm against LSU had a great game. Uh, so I would love to see him play more football, but I certainly respect his decision if, if he decides that, you know, there are more important things in football because there obviously are. Uh, I just, you know, I've chosen to, to spend a lot of my time on it, but, you know, trust me, I, I, I uh, understand that there are things that are much, much, much more important. And so if he personally or, or anybody else is making a decision uh, to say that, you know, I, I'd rather do something else, I, I completely understand. Right. And I think Xavier, if Brennan Eagles was uh, saying something along the lines of, I'm not going to come back and play until we figure out this climate change stuff. Uh, I think then we would roll our eyes, but because this is happening right now, and this is, you know, this is a watershed moment for the country. It's you're either on board or you're not. Um, I I, th I take this type of thing more seriously. Well, what did you think about what Brennan Eagles said? Yeah, I, I think that, he is right now, you know, you're not uh, totally wrong, Scott, but so, you know mm -hmm. what you're saying about, you know, when you first get into college, you kind of get this idea that, you know, you want to be more involved. You know, you feel yeah. like you've almost not been involved your entire life. And now you're kind of, you know, all at one time you're getting hit with all of this information and different people's ideologies and things of that nature. Uh, so I think that's part of it. But I do think that he sees, you know, that he there's an opportunity for him to be more of an activist here mm -hmm. off the field. Um, right. being from a guy who, you know, I decided to leave football for different reasons. I understand that, you know, when you decide to leave a sport that you love, you only do it for a reason that makes you feel more, you know, makes you feel more than playing football does. Yes. I think ultimately when it comes to his decision, is it the last time that he'll play football? I don't know. You know, he, we, we could, he, he could easily be done and still go play in the CFL. He could still attempt to go to the NFL after this year. Cause he is a sophomore. You know, there's a lot of avenues he could take. I just think that his stance right now, he feels is more important than playing just the game of football. And I a hundred percent stand behind his decision to do so. Nick, you hit it on the head. He, you know, he could, he, he'd have an amazing season if he does decide to play. I think as you know, as of right now, I think he clearly sees the difference in his prioritizing his activism uh, versus his athleticism. So. Right. Right. And you know, he could just look at all things being equal and decide, you know, if I'm playing football, more people are going to pay attention to me and then use that platform, you know, uh, people. And that, and that's the thing is we got to give, we got to give some people the chance to absorb the information and make change themselves. So, right. um, hopefully, you know, hopefully most of the country comes to 
where they should be. We'll see. Fingers crossed on that. And, you know, Nick, I don't want to go through all of the, the coaching news. I know you made notes here, but um, obviously with, um, you know, the uh, climate of the country here, a lot of coaches are being called out for things that they've said in the past, which personally I think is good. I think this type of stuff should be uprooted and uh, pulled out like a weed. So I I'm glad that it's happening. Uh, but you know, not surprisingly, you have a lot of, uh, coaches being defensive. You mentioned earlier about Dabo Swinney and how you don't really like how he's handled, uh, stuff recently. So, uh, your thoughts on, you know, all the coaches being called out. Yeah. I mean, Dabo is, is a little bit of a weird case because I, I forget who exactly, I, I know that, uh, Bomani Jones has had a lot of, uh, comments related specifically to Dabo and there's been some uh, other folks in the ESPN slash ACC media that have, you know, certainly had uh, comments on sort of his behavior, some of the decisions he's made recently. And, and uh, I, I believe it was Bomani who mentioned, you know, Hey, uh, Dabo might just not get it. I mean, he's a, he right. grew up poor. He, he was able to, uh, scratch and claws way to, to Alabama, uh, walked on there, won a national championship, ended up becoming a head coach. Now he's a multi, multi, multi-millionaire, one of the successful, you know, most successful coaches we've ever seen. So maybe he just, you know, maybe he just doesn't get it that some yeah. people are systematically, uh, you know, have, have so much more to overcome than him because he feels like he has overcome so much. So, right, you know, right. I, it, it just, it, it feels a little bit weird to me for him specifically, but you know, some of the stuff we've seen at, at Utah with the defensive coordinator, Morgan Scaley was uh, suspended for uh, some really, really alarming things. I mean, put a, uh, you know, a, a, a racist slur in, in a text messages several years ago. There've been some, uh, I, I suggest everybody, if you've got a, a subscription to the athletic, uh, there's a lot of uh, good information out there, really in-depth rundowns of his situation specifically. Also the situation in Iowa where uh, the strength coach, Chris Doyle uh, is also suspended highest paid strength coach in the country. Somebody who's definitely going to be on that list of NFL draft, uh, you know, producers, if, if we were to get down there, somebody that's involved in helping develop guys. But you know, if you've got a system in place, whether it's it's Doyle or Kirk Ferentz, who's you know the man at, at the top is is ultimately in charge. You know, you've got a, a system in place where players are being treated differently, right. or at least there's an atmosphere of belief that 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 that's occurring. I mean, that's something very very problematic. So, you know, I I certainly I think uh, would would be okay with a. Uh, zero tolerance situation. These guys go ahead, get rid of them. Uh, I certainly understand that perhaps coaches and, uh, you know, everybody changes, everybody learns lessons. Some things are, are completely unforgivable, uh, however. So, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see how it all shakes out. But I think it's good that a lot of this stuff is coming to light. It's bringing up a lot of uncomfortable conversations for a lot of folks and, and, Right now, I think that's a good thing. So yeah. we, you know, this isn't going away anytime soon. We're certainly going to spend a lot of time on previews and actual football stuff uh, in the future. <laughs> yeah. But right now, this stuff's important, and and uh, you know, we've got some work to do. I think all of us. Yeah, Xavier, your thoughts on? And I know Chris Doyle's son transferred out of Iowa too. So yeah, it, yeah, you know sure. that kind of seems like the writing on the wall for him. But yeah. what are you, what are your thoughts about? Uh, you know, 
the um, the things that have been coming out and the coaches' responses? Yeah, I think that, you know, not to coin an old political term that was used, but, you know, draining the swamp is, is I think, yeah. the best way, the best, you know, words I can use here. Um, I think you're, a lot of people are being outed because people feel the, the confidence to do so. Um, I feel like people feel like they have the platform to now say the things that they've been holding on to for, you know, X amount of years. You know, so some of these things are coming back from as long as 2013. You know, I feel like and I know that there's more coaches who have, you know, these checkered past as well. You're absolutely right, Nick. I think people have the opportunity to change, but the things that they did don't need to be they swept don't go away. The uh, they yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. They should be accountable for those things. And I think that ultimately, um, you know, I think we move, we, we, we progress when the people at the top, you know, the, the head coaches, the ADs, the, the presidents of the school take accountability for the people that they've hired. Um, and then they take full accountability of what, you know, they allowed to happen at their program. You know, with, when it comes to Dabble, I think the, the denial method, yeah, you might be absolutely right in that, you know, he grew up, you know, poor and, you know, in a, in a, in a different situation than maybe some of the others. But, you know, I think he has to get out of the idea that these things don't exist at some point. I think that he should mm-hmm. sit down and talk to his players about it. And yeah. ultimately, yeah. you know, they will give him a different perspective than, you know, you or I or any other journalist that has a take for him on Twitter or Instagram or even, you know, during an interview. Um, you know, I think that this is especially when you are the head coach. And I assume that in college football, at least every team probably has anywhere from 50 to 60% African-American black athletes. Like this is the opportunity for you to create, you know, a, a new, uh, you know, generation of players who don't feel like they have to go through the situation. Don't feel like they have to be silent about it. And you can create a new, you know, kind of, you know, situation at your school where now mm-hmm. players feel comfortable to come with you, come to you with these kind of situations. Coaches know that these things are unacceptable and it creates, you know, a whole line and generation of things like that going forward. And I think, you know, um, just listening to some of the the coaches talk this week on NFL Network and ESPN and other places, I think Herm Edwards said it the best, and he's not the only one that says this. uh, It's a coaching saying, it's you either coached it to happen or you allowed it to happen. And that doesn't just... Uh, that doesn't start and end with things on the field. It, right. it means your staff, your players, and anything going on within your program. You're the guy running everything. So, you know, it's harsh to to have one coach answer for, uh, you know, well over 100, 100 to 200 people, but that's what you get paid that much money for. So, um, you know, just changing the culture and if someone is not on board, getting them out of there, I, I think, uh, is, is what we need to do. Of course, you know, like Xavier said, you got to allow people to, you know, have times to change in the, you know, the bad, the good doesn't wash away the bad and the bad doesn't wash away the good, you know, like Stannis taught us from Game of Thrones, of course. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I mean, we, we got, we got to get to where things are right. And right now they're not right. And uh, so we're seeing an adjustment made. But uh, transitioning from that again, uh, another great transition here. Uh, We are drafting the uh, second part of the All-American Draft. We're doing the defensive side today. And uh, we are switching it up since we drew straws last week. Nick got first pick. I was in the middle and Xavier was last. Now Xavier is going to go first. I'm still stuck in the middle here, ah. and Nick is on the wheel. So um, uh, do you want to please reset and tell us the scoring system again, Nick, if you would, before we start our draft? 
Yeah, so uh, if you missed it last time, we set up a, a point scoring system where we're going to rely on the uh, quote, the, the 2020 College Football All-America team, which consists of 14 different organizations. The Associated Press is one, you know, the FWAA, AFCA, a lot of media outlets. Uh, if a player is selected to one of those teams uh, that we have drafted as one of our All-Americans, we will get one point. We will get an additional point if that player uh, is considered a consensus All-American. And that is, uh, you know, if he is on uh, three of five specific outlets from the AP, AFCA, FWAA, Sporting News, and WCFF, if you get three of those five, you're a consensus All-American. If you are a unanimous All-American, so selected to all five of those teams, uh, we get one additional point. So Joe Burrow would have been worth uh, three points based on that system last year. He was a unanimous unanimous. Uh, All-American C.D. Lamb, the receiver from Oklahoma, was a consensus All-American, so he was worth two points. Jerry Judy, the receiver from Alabama, uh, was only on the AFCA All-America team, so he was only worth one point. Uh, you guys brought up a, a great uh, addition to this. We were going to throw in some national awards, so three extra points if we draft the Heisman winner, uh, oh. and then one – extra point for a national award. So for defense, we're talking Bednarik or uh, Thorpe Award, uh, Bronco Nagurski, things like that. So uh, that, that'll that get us a, a few extra points. Um, but, you know, we'll, we'll tally it up at the end of the year. We're doing three different teams so that we don't all choose the same, you know, 11 or 12 All-Americans. And uh, defensively, we got a pretty long list. We're going to draft a 4-3, but with five defensive backs. Uh, all right. Year. So I, I suppose, yet. actually, if you guys want, uh, we can switch you can it do up. a 2-3-4 a if you want. Sure. Okay, yeah. So kind of like uh, instead of that fifth defensive back, it's kind of a flex spot. Sure, um, sure. All right. Well, Xavier, uh, you know, uh, beauty before beauty before age here. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> who? Yeah, I mean, you have a tough decision here. So, who's I, I, I mean, yeah, you guys can already see it in the excess. Oh, yeah. Wow. You did. Okay. <laughs> the, yeah. Um, pick is in. Yeah. Really, as long as the first team in the draft does to make the decision, everybody already knows. Um. I'm going with Micah Parsons out of Penn State. This is, I think this is the closest we have to a almost guarantee from either side, offense or defense. Um, I think that he's going to have another amazing year. He's a freak of an athlete. I think when people watch him, they make comparisons to Isaiah Simmons. Um, I think he's a better pure linebacker than Isaiah Simmons was, where I think Isaiah Simmons was kind of all over the place. Micah Parsons is A gap, B gap, C gap, F gap. I don't care. He's coming and he's, He's coming down here when he's coming to mess up your offense for 60 minutes. And this is a guy who is – is if you don't have any reason to watch the Big Ten, there you go. That is your sole reason to watch the Big Ten because he is a freak athlete. He reminds me of like Ryan Shazier but faster, which is like scary to think Ooh. about. I think that he is a guy <laughs> who has the ability to be just as good as what Ryan Shazier was and could have been, barring injury. Uh, I'm actually – I feel like I'm going to surprise Nick a little Ooh. bit with my pick because I'm going to let him take the guy <laughs> that I know he really wants. The number one overall pick is going to drop to me. Uh, yeah. Well, in honor of, in honor of Reggie Bush, going. he's actually the number three overall pick. You're wrong <laughs> about that. Just like you are on Reggie Bush. So, uh, I'm going to take, I'm going to take cave Thibodeau, the defensive end ah, of, of uh, okay. Oregon. Right. He's uh, only a sophomore, but just an incredible 
freshman season last year with uh, 35 total tackles, nine sacks, 14 tackles for loss. And it's not just about the stats. When you watch this kid, you see him eating up two to three linemen every single play. He's making it easier for his teammates to get to the ball. It's probably what makes that secondary so dangerous as well. So uh, just a guy that's absolutely wrecking stuff in the Pac-12. I'm going to take Kayvon Thibodeau. Very interesting. I thought I was going to have to take him third or fourth overall because I thought there was no way in the world that probably the best defensive player in college football, maybe not named Chase Young, in uh, 2019, Derek Stingley Jr. I thought Xavier was going to pick him first overall, but uh, if you guys are going to let me have him, hey, I'll, I'll take him, no problem. <laughs> Derek Stingley Jr., I saw just before we started recording, PFF uh, had a, a tweet. They said that uh, he was on the field for 555 coverage snaps in 2019, which is the most in college football, and he allowed a, re- a reception 6.5% of the time. So I, I think, you know, pretty much everybody I've heard, you know, NFL talent, talent evaluators have said that he'd be a first round pick if he were to come out last year. Uh, Derek Singley Jr. was awesome and, and really excited for him in the future. Nobody's probably going to throw to him the next two years, but I, I think it's pretty safe that he's going to be an All-American regardless. And, and I would expect the Thorpe Award winner. We probably have three different award winners here already. So <laughs> I didn't get much of an edge there, but hey, who knows? Maybe he's going to play a little offense. Maybe he'll win the Heisman. Uh, we'll see. But uh, <laughs> he has him playing offense and winning the Heisman. Already. I said maybe. I said yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah. He is, he'll, he, the maybe he'll build a rocket ship and and go uh, work for NASA. You know, rumor has it he's going to see some snaps on offense. They're going to so Jabril we'll Peppers him. Yeah, I get it. I, I had two problems with Stingley. And okay. this is the reason why I didn't take him one. First problem was exactly what you hit the head on. I don't think they're going to throw to him. So I don't feel like he's going to have the opportunity to have the numbers he did last year. But secondly, I want to see what he's like when he doesn't have a veteran-laden secondary playing around him. He had Delpit last year. He had Fulton last year. These are guys who he could you know, buy into on the other side of the field. It's also an offense who could uh, who couldn't buy into that side of the field if Dale Pitt is on his side or if Christian Fulton's on the other side. They weren't guys he could just aim at. You know, he he may get hurt from having a worse secondary next to him. And so, sure. you know, where I think he will be in the uh, shoe in as an all American uh, as an all American candidate. I don't know if his team performance is going to help him out all that much. Yeah, Xavier, you were a DB, weren't you? Yep. Yep. Yeah, so the DB, not taking the DB <laughs> with the first pick should tell you all you need to know, Nick. Come on. I so, trust but, him. I trust you get, him. I you understand. get a second pick here. It's a snake. So I oh, do. I, I do. And I'm going to go with the guy yeah, that got me there. Had he, had he been uh, you know, completely healthy last year, probably would have been an All-American. He was certainly a preseason All-American, but suffered an ACL. I think a lot of us... Uh, forgot a little bit about him, perhaps, but Dylan Moses, basically, you know, you hear quarterback of the defense uh, thrown around maybe a little too often, but I think the loss of Dylan Moses, he did play that role as a communicator, and that is uh, just as important uh, in a lot of ways as, as actual, you know, other roles and, and responsibilities, especially somewhere like Alabama where everybody's, a fun, you know, five-star basically. So we saw some issues Alabama defensively. I think some of that was communication, especially early in the season. So to have Dylan Moses back this year, it's going to you know put everybody in a, a little bit better 
a spot to be successful for that defense in particular, but also uh, I think he's somebody that is going to put up the production numbers is going to be, you know, mentioned so often over and over by play by play, you know, color guys and and written up uh, so much to get him back for a senior year uh, was uh, definitely a bonus. And and I would expect him to have an excellent year. Uh, Hopefully he's fully healthy back recovered and ready to go and and, uh, look forward to watching him in, in 2020. Uh, I'm going to stick with the defensive line here. I'm going to go back, but I'm going to go interior this time. And I'm going to take defensive tackle from Florida State, Marvin Wilson. And, uh, I mean, look, Marvin Wilson is on all of the preseason, you know, watch lists for awards and, and things like that. This is a dude with 44 tackles, eight and a half tackles for loss, and five sacks as an interior player on a – uh, team at Florida State, and it's not like he ever got to pin his ears back because they were beating the drums off of everybody. Uh, you know, they uh, they fired their head coach, and they were not great. So hopefully, if that offense improves a little bit under Norvell, uh, the defense will have a little bit more time to go after the quarterback. And you know, Marvin Wilson will really shine statistically. Then he's already great on every snap, eating up blockers and stuff like that. So Marvin Wilson for my second pick, and you get two Xavier. Well, and, and if Mike Norvell, you know, makes a, a false statement, Marvin Wilson will immediately yeah, correct us. With the I didn't even hand. think of that too. <laughs> we we skipped over that, but uh, yeah, talk about yeah. a change maker, Marvin Wilson on and off the field. At a boy, at a boy, Marvin. Let's go, uh, Xavier. You're up for two. So I'm gonna. So Marvin Wilson was going to be my pick here. Um, so I, I'm, I'm, I'm a little flustered, uh, but not too much. I'm gonna go with a uh, Quincy Roche, who, tra- who uh, transferred from Temple to Miami. Uh, this is was the second best defensive end in the country last year, um, and I think he just continues to build on top of that amazing year that he had last season. I mean, this is a guy who, according to PFF, was re- ranked just very slightly behind Chase Young uh, for most valuable edge rushers. Uh, last year, and I think he going to Miami is going to put him on a national spotlight. He's not going to be a sleeper anymore, and that's going to give him the uh, opportunity to play on big stages. You know, when, when he goes and he sacks De'Ara King four times, or I'm sorry, in practice, <laughs> and he's able to do, you know, I, the only problem I have with Quincy Rose going to Miami is if Miami sucks, it's going to hurt his stock, and I think that that's my only fear there. Um, that's why I was very scared to go with this next guy, but I'm going to do it anyways. I'm going to go with Chris Rump out of Duke. Uh, I'm good, so I'm going to get both of my edge rushers out of the way. This is a guy who, I, once again, I think has the ability to really shock, to really put his name on the All American list because of the fact that one, I don't think he's going to be over. He's playing next to Quincy Roche. He's going to be compared to him all year. And if they go head to head for the sack leader in the ACC, we're going to see a fun competition that I think is going to get just enough publicity to maybe push both of them um, into the All American uh, onto the All American list. Uh, this is a guy who's coming off of once again an amazing season. I think that you look at. Chris Rump and Quincy Roaster kind of in similar situations. Like I said, both playing on teams that you don't expect to have great years, but sometimes, and I will contradict myself a little bit, bad teams make for great players to have more publicity because you have to find something to look forward to when you're watching a, you know, a, a foreign or a, a four and eight team at the end of the year, you need a guy like Chris Rump to get, get you hype about watching a Duke game. Very true. Very true. Uh, for my, for my pick here, I'm going to go to the cornerback. Well, again, I take Sean Wade, 
the ah. CB out of Ohio State. See, I like. See, that's what we like to see. We like to see each other get pissed off, and and that is. Look, they didn't throw to Sean Wade too much. He only had uh, 26 total tackles last year, uh, but he also had two sacks and a pick for not getting thrown out a bunch. Seven passes deflected. Uh, just an outstanding player for the Buckeyes, and a guy that once again is going to be on a lot of uh, preseason watch lists. So Sean Wade the DB from Ohio state and Nick is on the clock for two. Yeah, I, I was going to go with Wade, but uh, I, I think I'll, I guess have to settle for another corner, uh, another sec corner, another, you know, super talented guy, probably not going to get thrown to a lot, but you know, by reputation, I think has an opportunity to uh, certainly make, make the cut. I'm going to go with Patrick Sertan uh, the second, uh, you know, he, he's certainly Alabama players, I think have a, an inside track for the most part. Alabama corners are, are certainly respected. And, and Sertan has, of course, great bloodlines, all pro uh, father and, and, you know, has, has played well and, and by far the most experienced uh, defensive back in, in that uh, defense. So I, I feel pretty good at, at having Sertan as, as uh, my backup there. And, and I think uh, I, I'm very intrigued with what Xavier did and, and took, uh, Roche or, or Roche, I, I have heard it both. I'm, I'm not <laughs> sure, uh, but I think his presence is really going to help another guy who got some All American buzz last year. Who's getting some first round buzz? Who is kind of you know he's an athletic freak. We're going to see him on Bruce Feldman's list. I'm I'm sure former wide receiver, they decide, hey, you're long, you can put on weight, you can be explosive at the line of scrimmage. Uh, Gregory Rousseau wow. from uh, ah. Miami yeah. is, uh, <laughs> you know, it, it's going to help. He, he was incredibly productive last year, had, what, second most sacks to Chase Young, the leader among all players coming back this year, and, and uh, to have another All-American type guy on the other side that, you know, the, the opposing offense has to worry about. Uh, they're not going to be able to, to, you know, double up Rousseau all that much and, and you know, leave uh, Roche to, to uh, feast on the, on the quarterbacks. At least I hope not. So uh, maybe, they'll, maybe they'll try to double Roche and, and uh, Rousseau will, will be the guy that, that gets all the sacks. But uh, I think it's certainly, you know, he, he's capable. I don't think last year was a fluke. I think, I think Greg Rousseau is uh, – uh, somebody that we're going to see on all America list and in the first round next year is, a, uh, I believe a third year sophomore. Yeah. I mean, Russo was definitely going to be my pick and you're right. They're going to, they're going to work off of each other at Miami. So the defense of Miami is definitely going to be scary. They get that offense fixed with the air King. They're going to be a fun team to watch this year. The Kings are well for me. I'm going to go with uh, a guy that, you know, uh, I mean, Xavier mentioned Chris Rumpf at Duke. And there's not a lot to get excited about at Duke. Seemingly, I think they'll probably be better than most people give them uh, credit for with Chase Bryce coming in uh, and, and all that good stuff. But for me, I'm going to go to a school that is losing a lot this year, but we have a statistical freak in the middle of this defense at Colorado. Nate Landman, mm. 113 yes. tackles last year, eight for loss, two sacks, a pick. And when you flip on a Colorado game, when the buffs are on defense, this dude is at the ball every single snap. He is unbelievably fun to watch. So uh, Nate Landman is my first linebacker. I like it. Javier so, for two. 
So I'm going to go with the same idea that you're going with. Um, sorry, Nick. And going with uh, his name is, give me two shakes. Oh, Corey Durden out of Florida State. He's playing right next to Marvin Wilson. I think he's going to be able to benefit just like uh, Rousseau will at Miami next to Roche or Roche. I think that he has the ability to be the Marlon Davidson of college football next year. Obviously, Marlon Davidson played at Auburn last year and was the second guy um, next to the big dude who went – his name escaped me. That dra- got drafted in the first round last year. He was a third round – he was a second-round selection, but I think he was still a second-team All-American, first-team All-SEC. I think Durden has the same ability to do so. He's going to be playing next to uh, Marvin Wilson, who's going to get double-teamed on most snaps. That allows for him to get to the quarterback more. He had a better pass win – uh, pass rush win rate than Marvin Wilson did last season. And I think he only expands upon that, uh, expounds upon that next year. And I think he's going to be really solid. Also, I'm going to go to my secondary. And just like Scott, I'm going to go to the Pac-12. I'm going to go with Javon Holland out of Oregon. This is a secondary that's absolutely ridiculous. Uh, four guys are on the list of the top 30 uh, defensive backs returning, according to PFF, and he's the absolute best one. When you have a secondary this good, it just makes for a fun scenario. I can only imagine how many times he's going to be forced to be thrown at because everybody else is going to be covered up. He led the country in uh, 2018 with six interceptions. I think he goes ahead and balls out next year. I don't know if he has six INTs, but four or five puts him on All-American list immediately, um, especially at a team like Oregon, who you expect to be one of the top one or two teams in the Pac-12 next year, Javon Holland at my quarterback position. Very nice. Uh, great, great picks. Um, uh, I, I hate that you took Holland because that was definitely going to be my pick here. But uh, for me, I'm going to go back to defensive back. I'm going to take Paulson Adebo, uh, the corner out of Stanford. Another guy, you know, not very deep statistically, although he did have four picks last year mm-hmm. uh, and 10 pass deflections but only 33 tackles. And the reason that a lot of these corners uh, don't get very many tackles is because they're not getting thrown at a lot. So uh, again, a guy on a team in Stanford that uh, has taken uh, a step back, but a guy that you want to watch play every time you watch the Stanford defense. So Paulson out of for me and Nick is up for two picks here. There are, there are a lot of good uh, defensive backs in the Pac-12 yeah, this yeah. year. I mean, they get uh, enough practice, right? <laughs> sure, sure. I mean, Holland isn't, I expect, the only Oregon uh, defensive back that we'll see selected. I don't know if I'm quite ready to jump on board yet uh, with one because the, the guy on my list that I like just a, a tiny, tiny bit more. And I think it's partly because, you know, at Oregon, you're going to have to fight with guys like Holland to, to you know, get your name in the paper or whatever right. the correct term for. Uh, the times are, but, uh, uh, you know, Elijah Molden at, at Washington is somebody that is going to be uh, on a lot of people's radar uh, for the NFL. He's uh, got an opportunity to, to make a lot of plays. That Washington defense, I think, is going to be maybe not quite as good as Oregon's, but uh, certainly will will be a very strong unit. He's going to have an opportunity to, to put up some good, uh, some good numbers. And, and then, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm tempted to, to pick a guy that's just got incredible, incredible numbers, but I think I'm actually going to go with my bet for sort of the space eater, the guy that reputation, uh, is going to 
you know, so, some of these guys get all American nods based solely on reputation. And, right. uh, you know, it, it, that is certainly helpful. And, and at this position, it makes a certain amount of sense because these are the, are the guys where, you know, sacks don't necessarily always add up tackles. Of course, uh, Tyler Shelvin at LSU uh, is a guy who worked, worked pretty hard to get himself under 350 pounds. So now he's a little bit, uh, a little bit more athletic. I mean, he was already athletic for 360, 370, whatever he's, he's has been. But uh, a guy that's worked really, really hard, a guy that was uh, a little bit surprising that he didn't jump into the NFL as a third-year sophomore last year, came back for his junior year. I think he's going to have – I don't know if he's going to have a Quinnen Williams type year, but he's somebody that I think can impact a game in a similar way. So don't be shocked at all if you see Tyler Shelvin being uh, in that Marvin Wilson conversation maybe as the top interior defensive lineman in college football this year. I'm going to go back to stats for my pick here and a guy that is, you know, when you watch any of his highlight videos, uh, he just gets the job done is Hamilcar Rashad jr. The linebacker was, out of Oregon state Four, 14 sacks last year, 62 tackles, 22 and a half tackles for a loss. I yeah. mean, the guy is making his read and getting to the ball Every single play. He is a stud. He's fun to watch. And he qualifies at linebacker for me. So Hamilcar Rashad Jr. out of Oregon State is my pick. And back to Xavier for two. Well, this first pick is going to, I think, hurt Nick because he raved about him when we did the ACC. Uh, my first pick is going to be Chaz Surratt out of mm. North Carolina. Oh. This is a kid who first year last year playing real minutes, 115 total tackles, six and a half sacks, one fourth fumble and one INT. This I think he's going to explode this year. This might be the highest riser in the draft uh, going into the year. I think, you know, people probably have him around second round grade. I think this is a guy who can end up as a mid first rounder, depending on the kind of year he has, because he's built like a safety. Um, he has the ability to go sideline to sideline. He's only six foot two twenty. Obviously, in the league, you might have to get down to 210 to play the safety position. But this is a kid who absolutely is going to tear up the ACC like he did last year um, and be an all-ACC uh, team selection like he was last season. I'm going to stay in the ACC. I'm going to go – Nick, you kind of scared me a little bit when you were like, he's not going to have to fight for press clippings. Um, and this is a kid who, if you watch ACC football, he's already all over the press clippings. That's Caleb, Far uh, Caleb Farley out of Virginia Tech. This is a kid who had one of the lowest catch rates last year, as uh, as one well as as well as some of the lowest passer ratings in all of college football. Yes, he has his teammate Jermaine Waller out there, but I think he's going to be the one who really takes off again this year. Um, he's already coming into the year with probably preseason All American honors for ACC. I think he's going to be able to solidify that. And he's a part of a good Virginia Tech secondary, so I'm not really worried about them getting exposed too often. Um, I like Caleb Farley a lot. He's somebody who popped on my radar last year. And he's going to be a guy I think that is going to be a fringe in the first round or early second round kind of player. Uh, I'm going to go Homer here. and uh, mm, I wondered when that's what happened. I'm going to take Caden Stearns. Safety oh. uh, out of Texas. Not uh, That's a surprise. I thought uh, you were going somewhere else. Yeah, I, I, I know who you think I'm taking, but I'm, I'm going to go with – uh, He's not going to make it back to you. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> Caden Stearns has had some injury stuff. He only played nine games last year. But in those nine games, uh, he still had uh, 59 tackles and a sack, uh, four tackles for loss. Uh, he was he was a guy that has uh, missed some tackles, 
but everyone in Texas was doing that. It was like a play going around last year. So I'm not going to hold him uh, too accountable for that, but give me Caden Stearns, my safety out of UT. So uh, go ahead. And one of these is from UT. Uh, That's right. right. Who would have thought that we have two potential all-American defensive players. Not after the way I complained about them last year. Yeah, no. Well, I mean, you know, the injuries we've talked about were certainly an issue, and and hopefully, uh, you know, the the situation will correct itself this year because there are a lot of talented players, one of which is Joseph Osai, who uh, I'm not even – I don't know what to call him. He's he's, Sometimes he's a – you know, he he is an edge rusher. I mean, we we put him in as a, a linebacker. He was a defensive lineman. He seems to go back and forth all the time. Not exactly sure where to line him up, but wherever he lines up, he, he's uh, got an opportunity to, to get after the quarterback. Had uh, really a, a national coming out party in the bowl game. Uh, absolutely wreaked havoc against Utah, and, and he certainly set up for a, a great year. And then, you know, reputation isn't necessarily – uh, what's going to get Nick Bolton on All-American uh, lists, but 150 tackles might. He's mm-hmm. <laughs> somebody that just filled up the stat sheet last year at, at Missouri, somebody that took over as sort of the uh, the main piece of that defense once Cole Garrett went down, and, and he stepped up to the task, and I think he's certainly capable of uh, putting up All-American-type numbers you know, triple digit tackles easy. And then uh, hopefully, you know, we'll, we'll put up some decent tackle for loss numbers as well. Maybe get a pick or two and who knows, like Garrett, maybe he'll be able to take one to the house and, and uh, you know, create some highlights to get him small American buzz. Yeah. I like, I like both those picks and a uh, Bolton, a guy that's very, very high on uh, draft boards too. So uh, very, very good selections there. I'm going to go back to the interior defensive line. I'm going to take uh Twyman, from uh, the University of Pittsburgh. This is a guy, another space eater. Um, uh, you know, just a lot of fun uh, to watch him. Uh, I, I'm just a guy that appreciates interior defensive line work uh, because that has been the anchor of the Steelers defense. Size so a little kid. I remember Joel Steed as a nose tackle in the early 90s and moving to my Texas guy, Casey Hampton, uh, who mm. was just such a stud. At Texas and Talk so good. Yeah, dude. <laughs> it, it was just him him being in the middle of that defense was they had to put two to three uh linemen on him every single play. I remember one play specifically in Super Bowl 40 when he one humped uh Hutchinson, the Hall of Fame guard, uh, because they said, Ah, we're gonna put one blocker on him this time. And he one humped him and got a sack in the Super Bowl. I think he may have had 10 in his career because he was just a space eater. But Jalen Twyman, uh, better than that. I mean, the dude had 10 and a half sacks last year, 12 tackles for loss and 41 tackles and two pass deflections as a big interior defender. So uh, that line is loaded. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that it's a it's a fun it's a fun line to watch. And he does a lot of work on it. So Jalen Twyman from Pitt is my pick. Back to Xavier for two more. Yeah, so I, I, I'm going to go linebacker here. And you know what? Actually, no, 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 no. I, I'm going to replace that. I'm going to be a homer. I, I'm going to be a homer. Ah, I don't have enough cornerbacks. There it is. is. There yeah, it is. I, I yeah, was giving uh, you one more I, chance to do it. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I, I genuinely – and this is going to be a little bit on a, on, a, on a stretch, but I think this is going to be the best team in college uh, – the best – 
defense in college football. I think he's going to really benefit from that. Uh, I think Eric Stokes out of Georgia is a first-team all-SEC uh, all corner. I think this is a guy who has not gotten the plaudits that he deserves playing next to the guys like DeAndre Baker since being at Georgia. I think that Stokes is going to finally get the credit he deserves for being one of the best corners in college football. Um, I think that he he's a guy who doesn't benefit a lot because he doesn't get thrown at all the time. But I think this year with such a good pass rush, he's going to get more opportunities to pick the ball off. I think his numbers – don't really highlight how good he has been uh, at the cornerback position at Georgia. So I think he's a guy who fits right in there. And then I'm going to go back to the ACC. Um, it looks like I'm just picking ACC kids who play on bad teams so far. I don't know what this trend is. But I'm going to go with Max Richardson out of Boston College. Uh, this is a guy who, who, you know, when you watch Boston College, you see 14 a lot. It's him. He, he's shoot, He shoots onto the screen very quickly, very early on. 108 tackles last year, three and a half sacks. I think that he continues to uh, play better than that this upcoming season. This is going into his senior year. Um, no, he's no Luke Keekley, but I don't. But if he's anywhere close to that, I think this is a guy who ends up on the All ACC team. I think that we're seeing kind of a like a you know a commonality here when it comes to ACC kids, and that they're not Clemson guys. Remember, if you want to go watch that episode, not the All Clemson Conference, go go back and look. Um, but I, I really like Max Richardson. I think he's a guy who goes for triple digit tackles again, and that gets you. Like Nick said, possibly on an All American team. Now I'm, uh, I'm actually, I, I that wasn't the Georgia guy I expected you to take, but I, I'm gonna let you have him, Nick. Uh, I, I'll, I'm, Go ahead. I'm gonna be Go nice. Ahead. You know, I last time aside. you can take. Well, yeah, but last time I was mean, and uh, <laughs> you know, Sam Ellinger went to uh, Xavier, so uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna re reboot my karma here. All I'm right. gonna take Hamsaw Nasruddin, the safety oh, out of Florida State. Uh, the dude had 101 tackles last year, two tackles for loss, a sack, two picks, return one for a score. Uh, the dude, once again, a guy that when you watch Florida State, always around the ball, a lot of fun to watch. So uh, on to Nick for two. That That's a really good thing. I was hoping to kind of sneak him in at the end. He's, he's talk about somebody that's got like an Isaiah Simmons type skill set. He's he's that same type of player. I mean, he, he's a, not quite as big, uh, but he's he's somebody can, that can do a lot of different things. It's going to be all over the field for Florida State. Very exciting, very exciting player. Uh, I will homer out a little bit. I am absolutely shocked that Xavier did not pick Richard LeCount. I think yeah. he is going to be uh, the face of that Georgia defense. And, and I agree, it, it might sound like a, a homer. Uh, statement, but I think Georgia is going to be the best defense in college football in, in 2020. And, you know, they have to play Alabama this year, which is going to uh, hurt a little bit statistically probably, but from a talent standpoint, Georgia is uh, about as good as, as it gets. And then I, I just, I don't think I can pass up this guy any longer. I, I was tempted to, to go with another space eater, but I think uh, Carlos Boogie Basham Jr. Uh, from uh, Wake yeah. Forest is, is somebody that is just too, too talented. Uh, he's going to be all over uh, the highlight reels, putting up double-digit sacks at Wake Forest this year. Somebody that's already got NFL draft guys just drooling is, is uh, Boogie Basham. He's somebody that was in, in the conversation last year as an All-American, surprising people coming back for a senior year, but uh, in line for an excellent, excellent 2020. I'm you didn't take the Georgia guy. I thought you were going to take. No, oh, wow. yeah, Georgia's got a great defense. There's too <laughs> many, do. you know, yeah. uh, and we don't want to call out each other's picks here. So, uh, 
I'm actually not going to go to Georgia. I'm going to go to Northwestern for not my next mm. pick. And uh, a little surprised he's not off the board yet, but he did have a bit of an injury last year. Patty Fisher, the linebacker from Northwestern. I mean, I just appreciate when you turn on a game and you can watch a guy that is in on every single play. You see his helmet messed up. You see his jersey messed up. And Patty Fisher is absolutely team captain and one of those guys. So Patty Fisher, my last linebacker that I can take off the board. And Xavier, you're up for two. All right, so I'm going to the Big 12 here for my two safeties. Uh, first safety is going to be Trayvon Morig out of TCU. Uh, this is one of the only reasons why you watched T- TCU last year. Um, he was excellent at the safety position. Uh, I like guys who are Swiss Army Knives, so he didn't just play t- um, safety last year. He did play some time in the slot as well. He also played some time on the outside to help out a TCU secondary that was reeling a little bit. Um, he kind of played everywhere to kind of fix that. Um, and the other safety I'm going to take. Once again, I'm staying in the Big 12. It's going to be his teammate, Ardarius Washington. I think both of them together are going to be all Big 12 selections. Um, sorry, Scott, I, I, you know, they're going to take away two spots from Texas. But I think that this tandem alone is going to keep TCU in a lot of ball games. They're going to be the reason why TCU could hang around with teams like Texas or like in Oklahoma, um, which they did at times last year. I think that when you have a tandem that's this good in a conference that's known for passing, you have to have them on your on your list. Um, you know they're going to have mo- so many opportunities to bolster their stats. Playing teams like a Kansas, playing teams that throw the football out like a West Virginia. This is t- this is pick time. This is time to boost your stats and boost your numbers and get on that All American list. So I like the both of those as my TCU tandem um, at the safety position. Man, I am uh, I'm a bit flustered here. Uh, <laughs> so uh, I was I was going to take Morig uh, for sure. So now <laughs> what do I have? I've got uh lineman and a defensive back so um let me see i will go i'm gonna go defensive back i i'll I'll homer out a little bit and just give him a little national love and since nick has him as a 100 rated bgr plus player i'll go with the local guy chase lucas the cornerback out of arizona state as my uh my second to last pick uh, homering out a little bit. So, uh, Nick, go ahead with your last two. All right. So, a couple of uh, my last two picks. Right. So, uh, the one that you know, I think this, I think this guy is already getting a little bit of All American buzz, a little bit of uh, Thorpe Award type buzz. That pit defense is going to be uh, so much fun to watch. But uh, Paris Ford is somebody that is just anytime you turn. Uh, you know, pit game on. He, he's in the middle of, of something. He might be getting a 15-yard penalty for uh, for for a variety of different things, but he's also got a great chance to, you know, make a play, a, a big play as well. So he's somebody that's going to be highly, highly productive on what's going to be maybe one of the most fun defenses to watch in all of college football. And I'm, I'm very, very heavy here on power five teams. So I wanted to dig down deeper just a little bit. And there's a linebacker uh, at Troy who is going to really fill up the stat sheet. Uh, Charlton Marshall is his name and uh, very, very fun uh, type player. Troy is the, the former staff at Troy is now at West Virginia, and they've done an excellent job. Vic Coning as a defensive coordinator is, is really, really good, has sort of crafted a particular 
uh, position that is kind of a hybrid linebacker safety, but also a pass rusher. And that position still sort of exists in the new staff there at Troy and Marshall's a uh, pretty perfect fit for it. So he's somebody that's going to uh, certainly be, you know, all Sun Belt, and I think he might put together one of those stat lines that just you can't help but uh, pay attention to. So my my hope is, you know, get some picks, get some sacks, triple digit tackles, that sort of thing, and Marshall maybe gets a little bit of national love as well. I mean, I don't want to do this, but no one else took him. So I'll go with Ronnie Perkins, uh, the defensive end out of Oklahoma as my last defensive line pick. Um, look, the, the dude is really good. He's highly rated. He's on a lot of uh, preseason uh, radars. Uh, and that's the last position I need. So I guess I'll take it sooner. So uh, Xavier, you're up for the last pick in this draft. How does it feel? Um, Not good. Um, oh. I'm, I'm going to go to my home away from home, which is Washington, for my last pick, for my interior defensive lineman. Um, and Levi Onwuzarike is a guy who was tied with Javon Kinlaw last year um, for his PFF grades. Um, this is a guy who is going to be a first-round lock in 2020. This is a guy who is PFF put on their way too early top 25 rankings. He ranked eighth. Um, and I think that you know, at Washington, you kind of hit it on the head earlier, Nick, when you were talking about not having to compete with a lot of great talent around you. This is a kid who's been productive every single year at Washington, putting up two sacks plus every single season, including his freshman year. Last year, he had 45 tackles as well. You know, and I think that he's going to play even better. I think he gets over his two to three sack margin that he's been getting the last couple of years. I think he gets more for uh, tackles for loss as well than he had last season. I think this is a guy who's going to just be a really, really solid defensive lineman who I think is going to make the all Pac-12 team and will get consideration for an All-American team, you know, possibility. So I like him as my last pick. And I had to get one weird name in there, especially if you look at my, my, my offense. I had to get him on defense, too. I was I was gonna say uh, he's also a perfect word score in Scrabble, so uh, that that helps out uh, for that pick too. But that is it. That is gonna wrap it up for the CFP Winning Edge podcast today. Uh, next week, what do we have coming up, Nick? Well, we're we're uh, still fleshing out a, a couple of ideas, but before the show, we were talking a little bit about uh, we'll be turning our attention more toward. 2020 previews and we've done a lot of early looks at, at uh, conferences and we've done of course these all conference teams and all American teams so we're, we're really kind of uh, learning as we're going and getting a better feel for these players and, and teams but uh, we're probably going to put together a, a list of questions that are going to you know guide the 2020 season and, and sort of explore you know a lot of the topics that uh will be, you know, that we'll be hearing about all, all year. So uh, excited to put that list together, maybe shine some light on some things that are flying a little bit under the radar at the moment, maybe some players, some teams that, uh, you know, we have some opinions on that uh, hopefully are a little bit uh, different than, than maybe some others out there. So uh, looking forward to, to putting that together. But, yeah, we're, we're starting to turn our attention specifically to uh, previewing and, and getting everybody ready for 2020. That's right. And we're excited for the season to start. And we're excited about this podcast too. If you would, uh, please go on iTunes, give us a five-star rate and review, tell your friends about it. We're starting to get a little momentum here. Uh, Nick just mentioned we have more patrons than we've ever had for CFB winning edge. So let's get the ball rolling. Tell your friends, you know, uh, we're, we're going to start uh, trying to 
make this, uh, you know, uh, just a broader audience. So, uh, please, and any suggestions, suggestions you have hit us up on Twitter at Bogman sports for me at CFB winning edge for Nick at Xavier underscore Trish for Xavier. And, uh, let us know if there's something you would add or subtract from the show. Uh, we would love to hear it. So, uh, please let us know and, uh, have a great week, everybody. And we will see you next time to answer those questions. Take it easy. CFB Winning Edge is a Patreon-supported outlet. The more support we receive, the more value we're able to bring to our listeners, readers, and users. There are several projects on our wish list for the 2020 college football season, including written previews, a weekly newsletter, and expanded podcast schedule. However, we can't grow without your support. Join us at patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge for details. 